Man, was that something else? Man, that was good stuff, okay? If you didn't like that, you ain't gonna like heaven, okay? Because that was some that was some good stuff. Thanks for being here. Great crowd uh, today. Good to look out and see y'all. A lot of guests. Thanks for being here, man. We're just thrilled uh, that you came to worship with us today. So my grandson um, FaceTimes me the other day. He's seven years old, and when you get my age, when the grandkids FaceTime, man, the world stops. They don't get any better than that. And so he's on the phone. He says this. He says, Papa D. Uh, can you make a sound like a frog? And that just came out of the blue. What in the world would he ask me something like that for? And I said, well, I imagine I could probably try, but, but why are you wanting me to do that? And he said, because my mom and dad said, as soon as you croak, we're going to be loaded. Now, <laughs> um, that is a, not a true story at all. Never happened. Uh, but I'm teaching on death and grief, and that's the only death joke I got that's any good at all. So thanks for being here on a, uh, on a topic that I think applies to a lot of us, and I know many of you are here uh, for this topic, and, and that's great that God has brought you here, and I know some of you, this is fresh, and so you're going to leave here in a little bit, and I'm convinced that God is going to massage your heart tonight, and so we're just thrilled that you came. A wise person once said this, that life has a way of tracking you down, and it does, doesn't it? And I think some of us probably have felt that a little bit as we've worked through this, this teaching series that we've been through for a month here at our church here at Eastside, and it's this, this concept of, of emotions and how they become challenging for us at times. And I, I hope one of the things that you've, you've caught this month is that there are these emotions that all of us deal with. It's not just a, a few people out there, but when we talk about things like shame and anxiety and depression and anger, I mean, we all been there. Life has tracked us all down every once in a while. And so there's something about that that's kind of grabbed a nerve for us, and, and it's been good for us to just kind of be real. And uh, somebody told me the other day, they said they, they appreciate what we've done here in, uh, in January, how God has worked with that. They said because we've, we've been willing to be raw. We've been willing to be raw. And this weekend might be the greatest challenge of all for, for some of us. And that is how do you navigate the waters of, of grief? When somebody that you love dies, I mean, how do you go on? How do you get up the next day? And there's gonna be, there are gonna be folks in this room this weekend who've never been there. And so you're just gonna kinda sit and you're just kinda you know, hear it and I hope some things get in your head and, and maybe sink there for a little bit. But for those of us who've been there, we're gonna feel it. Because you don't know till you know. Am I right? Am I right? You don't know till you know. And, and so, so this, this idea of the reality of death in our world and when that affects somebody that you love, I mean, I mean where do you go and how do you, how do you put another foot in front of another? I've brought this book out. I think I probably brought this book two or three times out for you and I've shown you uh, this book for various uh, reasons and it came to mind as I wrote this message and this is a book that was given to me uh, by my home church when they ordained me uh, back in 1980. 
And I know some of you weren't even born in 1980 and just hush, okay, be quiet about it. You can go home and change your diaper afterwards. But for those of us who have a little bit of years on us, uh, 1980 and all that long ago, and this book is called uh, My Pastoral Record, and most preachers have one of these. And uh, the older I get, the more I have found that worldly possessions don't mean a lot to me. They really don't. There's a part of my life or a season where I probably chase those things. And you start getting older and you realize, you know, things don't even matter. But this thing matters to me. This is, as one of my buddies, Dwayne Smith, used to tell me, he goes, dude, that is your life's work right there. And so every sermon I ever preach, I write in here, I record this. If I baptized you, your name's in this book. If I performed your wedding, the date of your wedding and where it happened is recorded in the pages of this novel right here. And so as I was working through this, this message um, a couple of weeks ago, I opened up the sections of uh, funerals that I have conducted, and I just started reading through the names and kind of reminiscing some of those, those people in there, and, and I've got four and a half decades of funerals that I have officiated and spoken, and I just, I'm reading through them, and I, I'm remembering them. And you tend to forget after 45 years, all those people, and, and they all come to mind. And I just started remembering uh, some of those stories in there. Um, I wrote, wrote some of them down to kind of highlight. EJ was the first funeral I ever conducted. Uh, barely 30 years old. He couldn't handle uh, the news that his wife wanted a divorce. And so I can close my eyes and I can still see his five-year-old daughter trying to figure out what in the world just happened to her daddy and me trying to figure out what in the world I would say at his funeral. That's the first funeral I ever spoke at. Ron's battle with cancer ended on Christmas Day at the age of 40, and his wife uh, left the hospital on Christmas morning, and she took her two teenage sons, and they all went home, and they opened up presents like Ron asked them to do. Otto was 93 and lived in a trailer with raccoons. And it was past time for him to upgrade his living conditions. And so uh, we celebrated his opportunity to go to heaven. Jennifer made her entrance in the world and then left in 19 days. I could see her daddy carrying her casket by himself to her grave. Dorothy had 17 children, most of whom didn't like each other. And so the funeral home paid a policeman to stand by me in case I said something they didn't like. That's the honest truth. Delcy... Uh, Delcy accused my wife of stealing one of her spoons at a church potluck, and, uh, but we still gave the crazy old lady a nice funeral service. Uh, Tom was my neighbor. Um, he was one of my good buddies, also my personal mechanic, and, uh, and Tom was a mechanic. And so one winter day, I remember I walked down to Tom's house, and I said, dude, it's terrible outside. My car won't start. Will you walk down here and start my car? He goes, let's do it, man. So we jumped in his car. We jumped in his car, and he said, now, before we fix your car, we're going to help some other people help their car. And we drove around town all day long, helping old ladies shovel out the driveway and get the car started. And at the end of the day, when we were all dog-tied, he went down and started my car. I said, dude, I needed my car to go to work this morning. <laughs> And, uh, and Tom died of cancer when he's 50 years old, and all those old ladies were in that room. Spencer and Tiana never got to see the light of day outside their mama's tummy. But Lila got more than 102 years. I mean, how do you explain that? A car took Chrissy, 
A tractor took Wayne, a gun took Kevin, leukemia took Tracy, the bottle took Jeff. I think a broken heart took Harold, who lost his wife one month earlier when Alzheimer's disease took her. See, everybody's got a book, don't we? We all got a book. And no matter who you are, where you come from, uh, money has nothing to do with it, status has nothing to do with it. The longer you live on this earth, the more entries you have in your book. And in every single case, you gotta ask the question, so what do I do? I mean, how do I, how do I carry on? And we're gonna try to see if God has a word to say that can help. That God provides us information in his word because he's tender and he cares and he wants his children to be able to navigate one of the most emotional times in all of your life when you bury somebody that you love. And I want you to know the Bible has an affirmative yes to how it can help. And so what I would like to do in our time that we've got here today is I just want to zero in on one verse in the Bible. And I'm only going to show you one verse today. And whenever I preach a sermon like that, somebody invariably at the end tells me, I had no idea a man could speak for 40 minutes on one verse. But we're going to try to do that, okay? And the Bible obviously is exhaustive on this topic, but I want to come to the home base, what I believe to be the home base of how God helps people navigate grief. It's a verse from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, and you may have seen this before, but let's take a, a minute and look at it. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Now that one verse is going to provide some stuff for you, for you to walk out of here and be able to navigate this moment of life that we all find ourselves in from time to time. I'd like you to see the term fall asleep is the biblical metaphor to die. And so the Bible often uses that terminology to describe the end of our life on this earth. And what Paul said is when he wrote about that, he goes, I don't want you to be ignorant about what happens then. And that word ignorant is a little rough. It's a little abrasive, particularly when we're dealing with a topic like this. But actually, that word ignorant is nothing more than the actual word knowledge. It is the word knowledge, and it has the negative prefix qualifier right in front of it. Ah, knowledge, which means to have no knowledge. And what Paul is saying here is I, I don't want you to be without knowledge about people when they die. And so he then began to explain from that point on what we need to know about this topic. And I think if I had to sum it all up, that what Paul will do from this point in the 13th verse through the rest of that chapter is he will begin to describe two different ways that we grieve. And this is something I want you to settle with. I want to get into your mind so that you are not without knowledge about this. But there are two totally different ways that we grieve. And they are these ways. Let's look at them. Grieving with hope and grieving without hope. And when somebody that you know and you love is no longer in this earth and you are grieving, you will grieve in one of those ways, always. It's only two ways. 
And the difference between the two of them is that when you grieve with hope, let's go ahead and put that up there so you can see it, it's because the person that you lost is now in heaven. And so when they're in heaven, you grieve with hope. But if they are not in heaven, you are grieving without hope. Now, this is something that we have to wrestle through, and we have to say this. We have to deal with this. And before we get into the tender part that I hope helps, I want you to hear this. This is very, very important to deal with and understand that there is the indication here that not everyone ends up in heaven. Not everyone goes there. And regardless of what our culture tells us and what we hear people say, and even regardless, I know know this, of what your guts are telling you in the middle of grieving, regardless of all of that, the Bible makes it clear that only certain people go here. The only people who go to heaven are those who have trusted that the grace of Jesus on the cross has forgiven them of their sins, and they've turned their life over to his lordship. And those are the people that go to heaven, and nobody else goes. That's the only way. I heard the other day, I was driving down the road, and I heard this announcement on the radio, and I actually put it in my phone, so I want to say it verbatim. Rock and roll heaven now has a new resident. David Crosby has died. Now, I don't don't know David Crosby from anybody other than he was an incredible musician. But I can tell you this. There is no rock and roll heaven. That doesn't exist. If that man is in heaven, it's because he was enamored with the grace of Jesus and he turned his life over to the forgiveness that only the cross can give. And so that has to be settled. That right now when we're thinking about dealing with grief and losing people that we love, missing them, we have to understand there's two ways to do this. One is to grieve with hope because they are in heaven, they were attached to Jesus. And the other way is to grieve without hope because they are not in heaven. Now listen very carefully to this, don't miss this. This is very important. Both of those grieve, both grieve. Both have to get through that. And so what the Bible does from that point in 1 Thessalonians 4 and from a whole lot of other passages as well, it begins to show the different ways these two groups grieve. And that's what I'd like to spend a little bit of time with you and show you. Now, y'all know that I'm not the, the brightest uh, knife in the drawer, and so sometimes I have to make things really simple for my mind to understand them. So some of you who are a lot deeper thinkers than me, you're gonna want me to be more technical than what I am. I'm just gonna give you kind of the dummies version that I use and it helps me understand it. Is I think the way that we express our grief in those two ways comes down to two different ways. And this is what we're gonna spend our time on. One of those is called common grief. And so what common grief is, it happens to all people when they lose someone that they love. Has nothing to do with whether they're in heaven or they're not in heaven. Has nothing to do with whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God. It applies to an atheist and it applies to a missionary. When you lose somebody, you will go through common grief. Now there's also this, check this out. And that is faith-based grief. 
And faith-based grief is when Christians lose Christians. And those are two different things. And so what I wanna do is I wanna walk you through this. I'm gonna give you some ideas about this, but I wanna spend most of my time here. I wanna talk about common grief because all of us go through that. It has nothing to do with whether they're Christian or not Christian. It has to do with the fact that your heart lost somebody that you love. And I just wanna give you a few little pointers that I hope you'll take away and, and use those. I want you to just kind of understand this from a general standpoint, and then we're gonna get into the, the thing that I really wanna talk about today. But I wanna give you some, some helpful things that would help you if you are in the process of grief right now from just a general standpoint. Here's one of those. I want you to hear this. We heard somebody talking to us last week after church that came up, and they need to hear that. And it is this. Let's go with common grief, and I want to show you this. Pain is okay. It is okay to hurt. It is okay to cry. It is okay to feel down. All of those emotions are normal. And you know how easy it is that when you get caught up into that, in that grief, you tend to say this stuff. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Never apologize for hurting. Pain, in fact, is helpful. And so don't ever feel guilty about it. Don't ever apologize about it. Don't ever be embarrassed about it. I remember times when I would be grieving, I would cry, and I'd be embarrassed. I mean, don't let that happen. Pain is okay. Let me show you this also. Time is okay. This is very important to understand this. There's no magic timeline out there. People ask me that as a pastor all the time. At what point should I be past this? At what point should I be able to move on? There is no magic timeline. Depending on the circumstance, there is gonna be a season in your life when everything is out of kilter, where it doesn't feel normal at all to you. You will go through that. My dad died eight years ago tomorrow. And I remember when that happened, I went through this, this funk. I was going through this thing right here, and it wasn't going away. And I was surprised that it didn't go away. And it had been a couple months, and I still, it just wasn't leaving and I sat down with our shepherding pastor here, uh, John Talbot, a dear friend of mine, whose dad himself had passed away about a decade earlier. And I sat down with John and I said, John, I'm tired, I'm, I'm discouraged, I, I don't have energy, I don't wanna get out of bed and go to work. The things that used to make me happy and excite, exciting, I don't even care about them anymore. Am I on the wrong track? And I remember what John told me. I remember that as if it was just a, he said, you're not on the wrong track, you're on the normal track. And so if it gets out of kilter and you just feel that the world is upside down, all of that is normal. And it will continue until it ends. And there's no magic timeline. Maybe many of you have seen the analogy of the waves and so if you went way out, miles out into the ocean, and the waves might be really high, man, there was just one right after another. But as that wave makes its way to shore, it will be a little less high, and they'll be separated by a little bit more distance and time until finally it reaches its shore. And that's how grief works. That early on, it's like it hits you every minute, and it's just intense. And then you look back two, three months, and you will have noticed 
well, it's not quite as intense, and there's a little bit of gap between there. And that's going to continue for you until it's over, and there is no magic. Time is okay. Let me tell you this, people are okay. You might find yourself in common grief, all of us, when we lose somebody we love, I just don't want to be around people, I want to be alone, I want to be away from them. And initially, that's probably a good thing for a lot of us, but at some point, you've got to dig out of that. Because the presence of people provide a sense of healing. That's why I think visitation times and funeral times are critically important. If you're in charge of planning that, make sure that's a part of that if you can. Getting back to work, going out in public, having dinner with friends. When you're ready for that, people are okay. They're a part of that healing process. And then I wanna share this one, last one with you. And that is memory is okay. This might be the best thing that you'll hear tonight as you go through common grief. And what I mean by memory is I want you to think about in those terms is what is it about that person that you want to keep alive? What is it that they taught? What did they stand for? What baton were they carrying that now you want to take on? What was it about that person that you never want to be absent? I've, I've seen that happen so many times with families whose parents die. And parents die and they believed in family and they stood for family and they fought for their family, but their adult kids were just nitpicking with each other. And at their funeral, they came to reality, we gotta bring this together. What were they doing? They're carrying on the memory of their parents. If you golf with me, you might see me do something really silly. I walk onto a putting green. I do this all the time. And uh, you golfers know if you hit your ball in there, it leaves a little mark. It's called ball mark, you fix your ball mark. Um, I normally don't leave a ball mark because my ball normally doesn't hit the green. But when it does, you fix your ball mark. But not me. I go and I'll fix four or five of them. And people might say, what are you doing, man? Clean up the green. It's because my dad taught me always leave a green in better shape than you found it. I've never forgot that. I carry on the memory. There's a lot of people in this, this church right here who know Matt and Lauren Kirchgessner, who tragically lost their, their two young children a couple years ago, Addie and Baylor, to a horrible accident. And their kids love to read. Those little kids just love to read. And so now the Kirchgessners have started a foundation that puts thousands of books in libraries uh, for kids to read all over America. That's keeping the memory alive. So I, I just kind of want to throw this to you. It's not necessarily a biblical concept, but it's the reality that everybody goes through common grief. Everybody does. And those things can really help you and make a difference as you journey through that process. Now, what I want you to kind of really think through is beyond common grief, though. Because common grief is something we all deal with, but when Christians lose Christians... Now we're at a different level. Now we are in something called faith-based grief. This is what's called grieving with hope. And that was the nature of what was written by Paul in 1 Thessalonians because he was writing to Christians who were grieving the loss of people and he said, make sure you're grieving with hope. See, here's what was going on in that city in Thessalonica is they had heard about the return of Jesus and they were so excited about it. They, they were so pumped about way more than we were that they literally quit their jobs and they were sitting out in the field and sitting on their porches thinking, you know, today's the day. And that's what caused 
Paul to write in there that, hey, don't think you can quit your jobs and we're going to come over and feed you. And he used that, that statement right like this. It's in the Bible. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. I mean, how would the woke crowd like that in America today, huh? And so that's another sermon for another day. But they were just pumped, man. They thought he was coming. And what else was grabbing them is they were just heartbroken that their friends and family who had died, they were going to miss it, man. When Jesus came back, they were going to miss it. And so Paul writes them and says, you're, you're feeling that because you don't know, remember, ah, knowledge? You don't know what happens to a Christian when they die. And if you knew what happens to a Christian when they die, then that'll totally change the way you grieve. And so here's what I wanna do for you. I wish we were in a Bible study and we could you know, spend the time that we need to. And we're not, so we're limited on time. And so I'm just gonna show you the outline of this. And so I hope maybe when it, when it gets up here, you'll take a picture of it and you can remember it. And maybe I'll try to remember to post it. I don't have time to show all the supporting material, but you understand what I'm, I'm talking about. I wanna describe for you what happens to Christians when they die. And when you know what happens there, it then assists you in grieving with hope. Not grieving, but grieving with hope. So if I had to sum this up, I would suggest for you to think of it in two ways. And some of this will be totally new for some of you, and it will give you a good idea of the whole heavenly concept. There are actually a couple different realities or existences about heaven. And one is temporary and one is permanent. And you have to understand what's temporary and what's permanent, and that's what I'm gonna show you here in a minute. I'm gonna talk to you first of all about what is called heaven now. And that is when a Christian dies now. If you think right now, if you think of somebody that you're missing and they were a Christian and you know they were in touch with Jesus, I'm gonna tell you exactly where they're at and what's going on with them, heaven now. But there is a different reality, a totally different experience that occurs when Jesus returns and we call that heaven to come. And it's very good for Christians to understand both of those aspects and be able to understand how that works and how you grieve in the middle of that. So let me talk to you a little bit about heaven now. I want you to think in terms of people who have died in your life who are Christians. I'm gonna describe for you what's happening to them as the Bible is taught to us. If you died tonight, this is what's gonna happen to you. I'm gonna show you four things about heaven now. Here's the very first one. There is a separation of body and spirit. And you can look at that and say, well, I know that, okay? I know the body dies and the spirit lives on. But, but I want you to hear this. I want you to catch this. The spirit is the real you. It's who you are. It's who God made you to be. The spirit is everything about your whole existence. And right here, we're just housed in a body. 
And that body doesn't last for any reason. There's a there's hundred things to talk about that that we don't have time for. But, but here's, here's just one of them to think about. I, I want you to understand that, that while we're in this, in this tent, this body that we live in, that we are fighting a losing battle with this. Have you realized yet that death is undefeated? Okay, so this isn't going to last. The Bible talks about how it's a good idea to take care of this, the physical body. That's a good thing for you. You ought to take honor in that. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. But one of the most foolish things in all of human existence is people who take care of their physical body and they don't take care of their spirit because the spirit is what exists. And so at the moment of death, your spirit leaves the body the body is done and over with. It served its father. But your spirit is really living. You're not a ghost. You're, you're not an, an angel flying in the sky. You don't become somebody's guardian angel. Angels are entirely different created beings. You don't die and become an angel. Sometimes people say, well, somebody died. They're now my guardian angel. No, they're not. They're not their guardian angel more than they've become your neighbor's dog. They, they're, they're themselves. There is a real existence. They are conscious. They are active. They know what's going on. They're more alive than they've ever been in all of their existence. There's this immediate separation of body and spirit. Now, check the second thing that happens. There is rest from evil. Everything that battled them while they were in the body, everything that they fought, everything, the strong battles of evil and, and heartache and physical issues and relationship problems and all the evil that, that Satan has been beating on them their entire life, it is totally gone and there's this, oh, I heard somebody say it like this. Think of it being in a championship boxing match with the best boxer of the entire world. And every day of your life, that boxer is pounding on you and beating on you. And you don't know how many times you can take any more of it. And you're just done with it. And the battle never ends. And then you die. And what happened is the boxer left never to return. And it's this. <sighs> They are as alive as they've ever been outside of their body without any battle of evil at all. Check this out. They are in a reunion with all of the redeemed that up until the point of their death, everybody who was right with God, from the old covenant, those who followed him in obedience, the new covenant, those who had given their life to Jesus, that there is a reunion. This is what we look forward to the most. Being with those that we now miss, we know that they are together. They are in relationship. If you've ever said, oh, he's finally with them. Well, if they're in heaven, that is as true as anything could be. But it's not just them. Wouldn't you also like to have coffee with Jonah one day and ask him what the inside of a fish smells like? You're going to get a chance to do that. Wouldn't you like to hear that guy in John 5 tell about what it felt like the first time he started to walk after 38 years? 
You ever been to Sam's Club walking down the aisle and somebody comes over the speaker and says, down in aisle 37 at one o'clock, there's going to be somebody with knives telling us how to cut up meat. Well, I think you're going to go in heaven and they're going to say, at one o'clock today, uh, the, the lady from John 11 is going to be over there and tell you what Jesus actually wrote in the sand. Wouldn't you like to be there and see all that? And that happens right now, gang. Right now it's happening with them. Right now it's happening. And here's the last thing that we know about heaven now, and that is the greatest of all, is that Jesus is there. He is there. There is one-on-one communication in whatever form that is, we don't know. The Bible says right now all that we can do is really kind of look in a mirror. Then we'll see face and face. He's there, man. And so heaven at this minute, for anybody you're missing, This is what's going on with them. Now, here's where I want you to kind of get personal. I just think of somebody right now that you miss. I asked that in social media a couple nights ago. Hey, who are you missing? And man, there were dozens of people with me, bam, bam, bam. I've talked with a few of you in this room earlier today uh, when you were here, and I just shook your hand. I said, man, I'm glad you're here because I know this is tender for you, and this is fresh because you're thinking about somebody you're missing who's in heaven right now. I want you to think of them. I want you to look at that screen, and that's what's going on with them right now. And what that's called is grieving with hope. But it gets better. It gets better because there is something called heaven to come. Heaven to come happens when Jesus returns. And when Jesus returns, there is now a new reality of heaven, a new existence of heaven that begins to kick in, that does not cook in until he returns to the earth and settles this good and evil battle. Let me show you some things about heaven to come. Let's look at that. The very first thing is there is the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. That will be our permanent, eternal home. That's is where we will live forever and ever and ever. And I want you to hear this. The people that we love and miss who are in heaven now are not here because that's not been created yet. But it will be created. When Jesus talks about, I put your room together, man. I'm gonna go make a place for you. That's what he's talking about. Here's the second thing that happens is there's this full reunion of all the saved people of history. And that's a little bit different than heaven now because heaven now are the people who preceded you in death. This is the people who will come after the people who aren't here yet, and Jesus returns, and they are ushered in to heaven. I got to thinking about that. Do you want to go to heaven via death, or do you want to go to heaven via the return of Jesus, and he takes you up there not dying? I'll take the second one. I don't know about y'all, but that's what happens. And can you imagine that reunion when now we're all there? Now listen to the third one. It's the greatest of all. We get a perfect heavenly body. Because the body we had on earth was imperfect. It wore out. There was a separation. And then at this full 
completed form of heaven, we get perfect bodies. Now, I don't know about you, mine's going to be six foot two tall, 200 pounds rock hard muscle, blue eyes, tan skin, perfect hair. That's what I'm going to look like. I don't know about y'all, but that's going to be me. And you know, the Bible says you are silly to think of it that way. That's what it says. It has nothing to do with what you look like. I think we're going to be beautiful. But he said it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with having a body that is indestructible. No more knee problems. No more diseases. Total perfect eyesight. Headaches gone. Flu, COVID, things of the past. You people my age and older, if you're 60 and older, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Get it up there, okay? Can you imagine having dinner together with your friends and not talking about your doctor or your health insurance plan? How can you imagine that? Gone, over with, irrelevant. And the last thing that comes up with heaven to come is paradise. This is what's told to us in Revelation 21 and 22. Delicious food anytime you want it. Streets of gold, nonstop sunshine. And if you're one of my Revelation students, you know that when John talked about all those things in paradise, he wasn't, he wasn't saying there's gonna be streets of gold. He was saying it is so unbelievably beautiful, I don't even know how to describe it. This is what's called grieving with hope. Now, I want you to go all the way back to our home base of scripture in the Thessalonians text, and I want us to play with this question. Do Christians hurt when people they love die? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why the steps of general grief are so important. But because of what we know, remember, I don't want you to be ignorant. Because of what we know, because we know where they're at, we know what's coming. We know where we're gonna be. We can hurt with hope. <clears throat> because of my job, um, which I started when I was 19 years old, I have been around death my whole life. Probably the only people that see death more than ministers are Funeral home directors and emergency responders. I've seen death my whole life, but there were many, many years where I didn't know what it felt like until Randy died. Uh, Randy and I met each other in college. We became the closest of friends immediately. I remember meeting him. And you've had people in your life like that too, where you just... There was a bond immediately for some reason, and Randy and I just became inseparable. We were both inclined 
athletically, we loved sports, and so outside of our studies, we were just involved in sports all the time. He, I think he was probably the most uh, competitive person I've ever met in my life. He was better than me in basketball, so it was constant, man, from him. Hey, come on, man, you wanna play horse? No, I don't wanna play horse, because he's gonna beat me again. Come on, sissy, let's play horse. And we'd play horse, and he'd beat me and rub it in. I mean, he just was competitive like crazy. I was a little better in him than golf, and so he kept always wanting to play golf because he wanted the day where he'd beat me. Anybody watch Caddyshack? Anybody ever see that silly movie? Okay, remember the torrential downpour? Okay, they got that idea from us. We were playing one day, and, and Randy had three birdies in a row, miracle of equal proportion to the resurrection of Jesus, and three birdies in a row, and man, it was coming down like crazy. I said, we gotta quit. He goes, we ain't quitting, dude, and because he was beating me. He was unbelievably competitive. We dated our girlfriends together who became our wives. We had our first children together at the same time. We, we talked for hours about being dads of little boys, and we were both called to be preachers. And so after we graduated together, we wrote sermons together. We talked about leading churches together. We talked about people in our churches we didn't like. We talked about people we did like. We, we lived together as preachers, although in different churches at different times. Randy was playing tennis one day with another friend of his, and he was really good at tennis. That was probably his number one sweet spot athletically, and they went to the, the tennis court up in Covington, Indiana, not far from here, and they'd been out there just hitting a ball for five minutes, getting warmed up, and Randy walked over to pick up the ball and gasp and fell down and was gone. An autopsy would later reveal no conclusive evidence of anything it was simply his time. And that was the first time I ever grieved. And I went through a fog for a few months. I didn't want to preach because Randy wasn't preaching. And I didn't want to go out in the backyard and play baseball with my young son in the backyard because Randy wasn't able to play baseball with his young son. And I'd play golf and I felt guilty about it. That's the first time I've ever, ever really grieved. <clears throat> I, I think it was maybe a few months later when there was a turning point because his um, his widow now, Vicki, uh, called me, dear friends of Susan and I, and said, uh, Dave, I have his headstone. I want you to go see it. And I said, Vicki, I can't go. She goes, I want you to go. And I promised her that I would go see the headstone, but I just, I couldn't go. I think it took me two, three weeks to finally say, okay, I'm, I'm gonna go see this thing. And I went alone. Susan said, you may go. I said, no, I gotta go alone. I, I don't know, I just gotta go alone. And something happened there, incredible, that helped me learn what it was like to grieve with hope. It's interesting um, how God does things. Because sometimes, man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to go up to him and go, you're Andre sometimes. 
So I wrote this message I just shared with you. I wrote this a couple weeks ago in a coffee shop up in Illinois. Uh, we were there for a few days, and I had a day off, and I needed to get this done because of some other things. So I sat down in the coffee shop, and I wrote what I've just shared with you. I wrote all that at a coffee shop. I did all my research earlier, and I sat down and put it all in print. I got to this point, and I started thinking about Randy. I started thinking about going and seeing that headstone. And then I realized um, his, his grave is about 15 miles to the east of where I'm at right now. And so I got my car, I drove to that cemetery to relive what I experienced all those years ago. I found that little cemetery out in the country, and I walked up to the backside of the stone, the same thing I remember doing when Vicki asked me to go. And I, I saw the back of that stone, I took a picture of it, and I brought it uh, for us to look at. It says, Minister of West Liberty, uh, the church there, 1984-1992. And the first time I saw that, I was mad at it. I was mad at it. And I remember when I saw it several days ago and I looked at it, I, that anger came up again to me. He loved that church, and that church loved him. Can you imagine what it would be like to bury your preacher? And so I remember walking up there the first time and I saw that and it just angered me. I knew I shouldn't have come here. I walked to the front of the, the stone and I did that a few days ago and I took a picture of that. Randy Lee was his middle name, Randy Lee Collins. And I could not get my, I could not get my eyes off those dates. 32 stinking years. 32. He had years left with his wife and his children, and we had, we had hundreds of sermons to write together, and, and, and he, had, he had all these years to raise up his voice, and 32 lousy, stinking years. And I, was, I just couldn't get my eyes off that. I was just so angry at that day. And then it was like a light bulb. And then I knew why his wife said, I want you to go see it. I want you to go see it. I don't want to see it. You've got to go see it. And so then I looked at the whole stone. And I want you to see this up here. Yeah. I beat you. <laughs> and even in that day back then, I remember I got kind of a weird chuckle. And I said, you dirty, dirty dog. <laughs> and then I walked back to my car, then and the other day, sad and grieving, but grieving with hope because of what I know. brought this little book that I want to tell you about real quick here. Probably one of the greatest collections of Christian literature ever written 
was a collection of books written by C.S. Lewis called The Chronicles of Narnia. And there are seven little volumes in that that may be the best thing that anybody has ever written to describe the Christian life that we've ever had in humanity. And these seven books are a, an explanation of God's work in humanity, in the, in the journey of humanity from when it all began to when we're in heaven. And this is the last book, when they're all finally there. And I want to read for you the ending four or five sentences. And when I read this, if you are grieving with hope, I want you to think of your friend or your relative or somebody. Let me read for you how C.S. Lewis describes it. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. And now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read. The story which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Does grief hurt? You bet it does. But God is still God. And because we know that, we can grieve with hope.